Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Rita. I'm from China. I'm Tom. I'm from Virginia. We've been together for seven years and we've been married for two years. I'm a Palestinian American and my partner is like American American. (laughs) Born and raised in Arkansas and Alaska. I am from India. My partner at the time was Christian and I am practicing Hinduism. I am Arab American. My partner is an immigrant from Honduras. My boyfriend is a white guy, I'm a black person. We're going on seven years, so it's going well. It's a lot about celebrating cultural differences, like embracing them. You just hang out with people that are exactly the same as you. You're not gonna know how other people live, how other people see other people, and I think that really impacts the way that you see the world. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. Welcome to the show. As just about anyone will tell you, we live in polarized times, particularly when it comes to questions of identity, like race and culture and gender. And there is certainly ample evidence of that truth. But you know, there's another truth too, one that gets obscured by the politics of it all. American culture is perhaps more embracing of its true diversity and huge differences than ever before. And maybe that's why some people are kind of mad about it. Anyway, our growing cultural diversity is at this point baked into the future. Within the next 20 years, the majority of Americans will identify as something other than white. That's already the case in four states. In the 2020 census, nearly 40 million people identified themselves as multiracial. That was almost a 300% increase from a decade before. Perhaps that stat is tied in some way to another bit of census data. The growing number of married couples that identify themselves as interracial or interethnic relationships of some sort. It's now at more than 10% which may not seem like a lot at first, but then I think about the fact that my mother was a full-grown adult by the time the Supreme Court struck down laws banning interracial marriage. All that data is also just about marriage. That's before we get to all the other ways in which we share intimacy these days across race and across culture and across ethnicity. So here's the point. Valentine's Day is this week, and on this show, we embrace chances to celebrate love. So we wondered, what might we learn about ourselves and about each other if we spent some time talking about love across differences? Our phones are open, and here's my question for you. If you are in an intimate relationship with someone of a different racial, ethnic, or cultural background, what is something you learned about yourself? 
And note that I did not ask you what you learned about other people and their backgrounds. That's a whole different conversation than the one we are trying to have this week. I want to know what you learned or are still learning about yourself. And it does not have to be some profound sociological study. We can also have some fun with this. We're talking about love after all. Call us or text us people who are in or have been in intimate relationships with someone of a different racial, ethnic, or cultural background. And as we take your calls, I am joined by a sociologist who does have some profound thoughts on the subject. Maria T. Imchali is an assistant professor of sociology at Bucknell University. She studies intersectional theory, and she is completing a book entitled Invisible Terrains, Race, Gender, and Heterosexuality in the Lives of Interracial Couples. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, So as a sociologist, your area of expertise is intersectionality. And more specifically, a lot of your research has centered on intercultural relationships and the patterns we get from studying them. What got you interested in this subject? Yeah, um, if I'm honest, uh, well, intersectionality is just a love of mine in general. That's where actually where it started. Um, That predates the interest in interracial couples. Um, I'm very interested in how where we are situated within society along structures of race, gender, class, et cetera, how that impacts um, how society interacts with us and how we interact with society. And I thought um, that interracial relationships would be a great nexus point to do a comparative analysis to kind of get, get further insights to not just what it's like living in society uh, with all these um, different structures and hierarchies around, again, race, gender, and class, for example, but also to what it's like navigating that across relationships um, the more micro-level social interactions that I want to take a look yeah. at. And as you started studying it, what I, I gather the way the subject was framed caused you some pause right from the beginning. Um, talk about that. What 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 did you see and how it was framed um, and how it was being presented that made you be like, wait. At the time, uh, I was in grad school, and it was actually a class that I took um, on race, class, and gender, and we did a unit looking at interracial couples, and I was surprised by um, one study um, done by um, Dr. Amy Steinbugler, um, where she was looking at um, Black men and white women who are in relationships and their experiences, and comparing that to Black women and white men. And I was really interested by the different experiences they had when it came to social interactions on public. Um, up to this point, most of the discussion that I heard around interracial couples, particularly within our society, was seemed like it was actually based off the experience of Black men and white women. And it hadn't really been nuanced uh, to take into account how intersections of different identities can impact how uh, these interactions with others mm-hmm. play out. And so I remember going to my professor at the time and I said, you know, I was would love to find more information about, you know, black women and white men in relationship just to see how this differs more, if, if at all. Um, and, you know, I was saying, I was looking around, I'm struggling to find stuff. And he had told me at the time, he's like, yeah, unfortunately there's not a lot there. Most of it is actually um, on black men and white women um, in their relationships. And so for me, I was annoyed <laughs> that there wasn't more resource. I'm like, why, why not? Um, and so that kind of got me moving forward to deciding that I wanted to take on this uh, research. Um, again, not just to look at it from an intersectional lens and doing, doing this comparison, but also to like trying to add 
to the literature out there to understand the how different types of relationships and racial relationships experience navigating race, um, gender, um, and other categories of difference in our society. And, and why not to ask the, to answer the question you raised? Because I mean. Frankly, it doesn't surprise me on one level because certainly the public conversation about interracial relationships or intercultural relationships is uniquely um, focused on black men and white women. Um, spell out why you think that's the case and why we even see it in the research. Yeah, so it's a couple of things. So the first thing that we have is that in our society, to your point, when we think about inter- interracial relationships through most of our history, any type of interracial relation, I should say, maybe not always relationships. It's been this idea of black men and white women. So um, one thing we have is why we see most of the literature reflecting this is that is what's often in kind of the cultural imagination. There is a long standing taboo um, against right. relationships of any kind um, that were romantic or sexual between uh, black men and white women. Um, part of this played into um, and even still present to this day, uh, cultural anxieties around uh, white racial purity, um, particularly in a society that has often looked at women as kind of being the ones to maintain racial purity uh, for racial groups, um, anxieties around black male sexuality, black male supposed sexual prowess. Um, and then, um, you know, the reality is, too, you know, when we look at this, whether within our country or across the globe, White men having access to the bodies of women of color has kind of been a given, right? right. It's been right. highly problematic, obviously, but it's been a given. So, but this concern that we saw, particularly um, historically, about men of color having access to white women sexually, romantically, being an anxiety and a concern. Right. Um, and then also, I would add the last piece is that in our society, when we think about race or racial relations, we tend to often think about it in very black and white terms. And I'm not trying to do a metaphor here, <laughs> uh, but it also happens to work, right? But we do tend to look at it like black and white. It's the black, white, binary and- period. You know, if we're talking mm-hmm, race, that's mm-hmm, as, that's as mm-hmm. far as we get. We are hoping to broaden that conversation in this hour. Um, so we are, just to be clear, we're looking for stories and lessons for anybody, whatever kind of cross-cultural relationship you're in. So uh, as we head to a break, uh, what about yourself? Uh, can I can I put the question that we're putting to the audience to you? Um, what have you learned about yourself in the course of uh, of dating uh, people across cultural boundaries? Yeah, um, Kai, if I'm honest, you're not gonna like my answer. Um, oh, okay, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, well, your answer is your answer. I like it. Whatever it okay, is. Okay, sounds good. It's because I'm a sociologist. I'm a little biased, so I feel like. I found more, and I say bias in the sense of like I came with a certain level of knowledge once I started dating interracially. Um, uh, so I say for me, I was more surprised about what I learned about other people. Oh, um, you are so pushing I, me that's here. That's why I told right, you right. were going to like it. <laughs> All right, well, give, give me a little bit of that. Yes. Um, well, I would say that because I was very surprised by people's reactions. Um, I found in my personal experience that people's reactions are a bit of a war shock test. Um, for their own anxieties or feelings about race. So everything, I've experienced everything from overly approving, right? Like, for example, a former partner I'd be at a concert and a white man going out of his way to come over to us and tell us how proud he was. <laughs> I mean, really? Of us. <laughs> um, to people who want to make it really clear um, that they don't see race, they don't see race, they don't see color, but then start asking questions that are definitely couched within racial stereotypes. Um, and then, of course, people who have shocked, been shocked and stared openly.
openly um, a foot away from us, um, things along those lines. So yeah. I think um, as much as I had an awareness from a sociological perspective, I think I was still a little bit optimistic, maybe in some of the responses. Um, but also to people who have acted like we're just like any other couple, which I also appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I appreciate that framing that it's almost like a cultural Rorschach test that mm-hmm. people see what they want to see on you and your relationship, um, which has nothing to do with you you and your actual relationship. Nine times out of 10, there is some lessons in that. This is Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. I'm talking with Bucknell University sociologist Maria T. Imchali about love across differences. And we're going to take your calls if you are in or have been in a relationship with someone of a different racial, ethnic, or cultural background. We want to know what's something you learned about yourself. You can call or you can text us to tell me what you've learned about yourself if you found yourself in a relationship with somebody that's real different than you. Your calls and more coming up. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Regina, a producer here at Notes from America with Kai Wright. I hope you're loving this episode, and I know you want to get back to it as soon as possible. But before we get back to it, I need to tell you something. As you know, we cover a lot of issues and ideas on this podcast, and we don't want to do it without you. Having your questions, stories, and experiences in the conversation is so important to us. So let me tell you how to be in touch. In the show notes of this episode, there's a link that takes you to our website, notesfromamerica.org, where you can record a message for us. Plus, our inbox is always open at notes at wnyc.org. You can write us, or even better, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us there. Again, that's notes at wnyc.org. I'll be looking there for a note from you soon. All right. Thanks for listening. I thought that because I'm such a multicultural person that it would be really easy to navigate personal relationships. And I thought it would be a lot easier than it actually is. With any people, no matter what culture you come from or what background you come from, you're always going to find differences. Every relationship is unique. There, there is no key to success and everyone's an individual. We talk about what works for us. Even though we are like two brown people from marginalized cultures, there's still so many complicated things to navigate. My dad is the white one, my mom is the black one, and after 26 years, there's really no differences anymore. They're pretty much blended together. The discussions that my husband and I have had have made me realize that I have my own prejudices that I am putting on other people and that I'm painting other people in a certain light because of the way that I've seen other people like them react. I'm actually adopted. Both of my parents are white. Uh, And as a black person in America, like there are just so many things they don't understand and they're not willing or ready to learn about and accept. I have learned that you really don't know what a person's day-to-day life is like or someone from another culture's day-to-day life is like unless you're in the day-to-day with them. 
This is Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and we are talking this week about love. Well, really, any kind of intimate relationship with people from a different cultural or racial or ethnic or whatever background than your own. If you are in an intimate relationship with someone of a different racial or ethnic or cultural background, what's something you've learned about yourself? And let's go to Summer in Chicago. Summer, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. What's something you learned about yourself, Summer? Yeah, so I mean, I come from an interracial background myself here in Chicago, black dad, white mother, and I married a Ukrainian American. And I was surprised to learn how much we actually had in common, both being kind of on the outside of multiple cultures. You know, you've heard the stereotype of mixed people being either both and or neither, you know, of white or black culture. And him coming from kind of an immigrant background, he un- understands not feeling fully at home in any place either. So mm. we could relate there. Wow. So you learned, despite the difference, you actually had this commonality. Yes, exactly. And we kind of spotted it from day one right. um, when we met. And yeah, another key thing we've learned is that you really have to defend um, the culture that you want to impart to your own children because hmm. America can be assimilatory. So, you know, we want to raise our child speaking Ukrainian first and understanding some of the black culture I've come from. And it's really important to us. Thank you for that summer. Let's go to Misha in Minnesota. Misha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you having this topic uh, on the radio. It's awesome to hear it while I'm driving. (laughs) Well, I hope you're not driving currently, Misha. I am hands-free. <laughs> All right. Well, quickly, what did, what did you learn about yourself? What I learned about myself is how not to be so hypocritical when dealing with hypersensitivity around race, um, stereotypes, tropes. Um, you know, we're quick to make fun of whites um, who don't know, don't have rhythm and all this kind of stuff, like their food is bland with salt and pepper. And it's a joke. And you know, it didn't dawn on me that my husband, um, I'm African-American, he's white. We have been married for almost 23 years now. And that those things bothered him and it hurt his feelings. Mm. Um, but when he would say certain things or his, you know, he would be around people saying certain things that I found inappropriate about African-Americans or anybody of color, I would just ride him like a horse with no saddle. And <laughs> later on, he pretty much told me, well, you know, did, did it dawn on you that that hurt my feelings, but I'm not allowed to express that that bothers me. Mm. And what I learned about myself is to be more open, be more understanding, and be more cognizant of the other side. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Misha, and safe driving. So we're going to keep taking your calls. We're, we're asking if you are in an intimate relationship or have been in an intimate relationship with someone of a different racial, ethnic, or cultural background. Tell us what you've learned about yourself. I've been talking with Bucknell University sociologist Maria T. Imchali. And now let's welcome Lamar Dawson. He's the host of TikTok Radio, a channel dedicated to pop culture on Sirius XM. Welcome to the show, Lamar. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So uh, we were introduced to you, Lamar, through your very <laughs> popular series of satirical essays in HuffPost, RIP, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which were called The Black Gay Man's Guide to Interracial Dating. <laughs> what inspired that series? Uh, my experiences with interracial dating. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And the challenges and the the crazy things I would encounter and I would talk about it with my friends. And I wanted to 
talk about it publicly, and I've written all the articles to your point around race and racial dating in a very satirical way, because I want it to use humor as a way into the conversation. Because you know how it is, you start bringing up race and people get crazy. You wanna be able to have the conversation and start with humor from my perspective as a way to disarm, uh, break it down and go, oh, I get it. And I think a lot of people appreciated that uh, POV. It included uh, tips like let your date shower you with compliments like asking if you're mixed or biracial, mm. <laughs> asking about telling you about their their other black ex. Uh, so it's it's a fun read, but I gather not everyone got the joke, right? Yeah, I did. Got a, I got a lot of hate mail. You know, it's funny. I got a lot of people saying, oh, my gosh, this is my experience. Of course, those are black people and people of color saying, I appreciate this. This is my opinion or this is also my experience but also a lot of white folks who were like triggered i think by it and didn't really appreciate it um but also didn't recognize the intent versus the impact of Mm -hmm. some of those remarks that they might say as off the cuff or jokes or what have you or well-meaning things quote unquote but the impact is very very um uh, harmful well, like our caller from Minnesota just right. said about a black woman talking about her uh, her white partner where she didn't realize she was actually hurting his feelings. Right. Um, what other kinds of responses did you get, though? You got positive responses. You got negative responses. What, what are some of the positive responses you got? Uh, people were really laughing at their experiences when they—how do, how do I say this? People were connecting with the— the examples, because they experience it quite a bit in their life. For example, when they go to a restaurant and the white partner is given the check or is greeted, first of all, which is, one, rude, but, okay, you you assume <laughs> this person is going to pay the bill. Why? You know what I mean? Um, so they were also recognizing that this happens to me all the time. We joke about it now. Otherwise, we'd drive ourselves crazy. So they appreciated the levity behind it. But also, there's a little bit of pain behind it, too, where it's like you're making assumptions about me because of my race. And these are deeper issues that have to be unpacked. Let's bring our sociologist back into the conversation. Maria, what? What's the value of having a conversation like this? Um, you know, I mean, it, it's you study it academically. Um, uh, Lamar is is cracking jokes about it. Some <laughs> people get in their feelings about it. What, what can we really be learning about our society by by talking about this? Yeah, um, I would say it's important to have these conversations, right? Um, interracial couples are often having these conversations a little bit more for reasons that probably appear a bit obvious, right? Because they have to deal with. Um, formulations across race all the time. Um, I think humor is a good way to bring this conversation up as well. But obviously, as Lamar mentioned, there's a lot of different um, feelings that come up. I think it's also sociological, like that's data, right? It says Mm. a lot about how (laughs) comfortable people feel about having this kind of mirror turned on to them, right? Um, I have to say, too, I love the the piece. I laughed a lot. (laughs) 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 Sadly, right? But I think, too, it's important to have these conversations because the reality is we're in a multiracial society um, and we and America is also an experiment in a lot of ways, too. Mm. So we are constantly, it feels like going through growing pains. And as we're watching our country um, evolve to being a more multiracial country, um, we're going to have to have a lot more of these conversations, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's going to change up the status quo. It's going to change what things look like. It's going to change who's in power in different ways, right? Um, like we're seeing more representation of people of color of queer people um, in different positions and spaces. And so, and uh, and talking about it is important, right? That's one piece, right? But also too, and I think we can see this a little bit from Lamar's experience, you gotta be willing to listen. You need to be willing, especially if you're in a place of privilege, kind of decentering your experience and listening to the experience of others. Um, 
and time to, I guess, reflect and kind of think about how we as a society, whether in these smaller relationships we have or as a society, how we can continue to kind of move forward and celebrate our diversity culturally and racially, uh, but also do so in a way that um, everyone can feel they can have their full humanity That's right. respected and actualized. That's right. Let's go to Brian in Middletown, Connecticut. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Very well. What have you, what have you learned about yourself, Brian? Yeah, so for me, I was explaining that I, I was in a relationship with someone who's very different from my own background. So I was, um, you know, I'm white, male, Irish Catholic, kind of grew up in a suburban community um, and was very, from a very traditional kind of conservative religious family and was dating someone in college who was very different in terms of their background. They were Spanish, Sephardic Jewish from the city, um, very secular politically liberal. I was politically conservative at the time years ago. Um, but I think it's, as part of that experience, I learned for myself that my, my, what I had assumed all of my life to be, um, you know, the correct kind of worldview or my own perspective on things. I always thought that I was right. And someone who disagreed with me or had different views was just not as well informed or didn't, you know, wasn't correct. And that may be true. You may actually be more informed than everybody else. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, well, that's what I thought. But but after having met him, I think there's a lot that I had to learn through the relationship and through those differences that really, you know, um, about his, his experiences as an individual and that, you know, as someone who didn't have my background or my privilege, that there were things that at the time I think I didn't, you know, understand or acknowledge that he may have been experiencing and... So yeah, just learning that I need to not assume that my my viewpoint was the only one and the only correct one. Thank you for that, Brian. Uh, anything in what Brian was saying stand out to you, Lamar? You were nodding along a little bit. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that self-reflection and recognizing, oh, I don't know all these things. And, you know, I try not to fault people. You can't because people are a product of their environment. You grow up, in a, grow up in a place with your family that you're born into. And then you go off to college where this is a huge, you know, mixed salad. I don't like the melting pot. I like to say like it's a tossed salad. Right. You know what I mean? And then everyone is there and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm exposed to different people, viewpoints, ideas, opinions, etc." I'm questioning everything. And this is a good thing. I think it's a really great thing. If it doesn't break up the relationship. <laughs> you know? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Uh, so in preparation for this conversation, we put a poll on our Instagram. That's Notes with Kai, by the way. Um, and we asked our followers if they had been in any kind of intercultural relationship. 77% said yes. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, does that surprise you, Professor and Charlie, given your research? Yes and no. <laughs> mm. So I say yes because it's I. that's likely not reflective of the average American, right? Um, but I think that... <laughs> Might be reflective of the listeners, of right? The Notes so, from America listeners. Good job, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh gosh. I'm, I'm like, how do I say this? But I mean, <laughs> the impression that we we get often is that people who are listening to NPR tend to be disproportionately more likely have um, gone to college. Um, so, and we know in our society that um, there's a correlation between going to college and being more likely to date outside your race. Um, and I think part of what Lamar's talking about kind of hits upon that, right, is the exposure to people of different backgrounds, different groups, the normalization of 
like instead of seeing certain groups of people on TV or having this kind of arm's reach where you don't, they're like acquaintances or people live down the street, like you're sharing dorms together, you're, you're in clubs together, meetings together, um, parties together. And it kind of um, it minimizes that social distance um, and can make the possibility of dating outside one's race um, seem more realistic, not as scary. Um, and so, mm-hmm. to, so I think that's one of the reasons why we do see uh, that correlation with like education. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my response to that that's, as a sociologist. <laughs> that, that, well, we'll, we'll take it. I, I mean, Lamar, according to another piece of Census Bureau data, 31% of married same sex couples were interracial in 2022, which is much higher mm-hmm. than the 19% of married opposite sex mm-hmm. couples in that same piece of data. The same difference we see it with unmarried couples, though less dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, it, does that numbers surprise you in any way is it is, is it meaningless data or does it mean uh, something to you <laughs> you know i don't know where to start because how much how do we have i have some well we have about this. three minutes before <laughs> break <laughs> here are my thoughts i think within um queer media and movies you do see much more representation on the interracial intercultural um relationships just about every gay character on TV or in movies, it's a black and white person. You know, single mm-hmm. all the way, big holiday movie, upcoming Billy Porter with, I think, Luke Evans' film coming out. Just about every family stone, if you remember that, watching that during the holidays, it's always a black and white couple. It so really I do is. think that, on the one hand, it kind of helps normalize it. And, you know, I'm not going to have the right sociolog- sociologist language, so bear with me. But, we, like, we, we didn't, we didn't invite you <laughs> okay, here to do that. Okay, we, good. What we need from you is expertise on pop <laughs> exactly. culture. Exactly. That's what I'm going to, okay, perfect. So you're seeing that across the board. And I think it does help normalize it for a lot of people and go, oh, I can do that too. I can date someone else on my race. It's not a big deal because it's pretty much like the norm, if you will. However, I do see that there's this. I don't know what it is. I call it an epidemic. I'm not going to even sugarcoat it, where I do see a lot more people of color who seem to be going after a, a white partner. It almost feels deliberate in my opinion. I've got a lot of Explosive. thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get canceled probably. But I do feel like I see this quite a bit where I always joke with my friends, always say, I'm going to write a book that says every black man I'm into has a white boyfriend. And Oof. every time I meet a black person and I go to their Instagram— White boyfriend. I I will bet my retirement on it. They're going to have a white boyfriend. Lamar, I got to tell you something. Tell me. I have a white boyfriend of 18 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, <laughs> if we brought a bunch of black gay men in here right now, line them up and pick. I think you're right. Yeah, there's something there. But what is there? Dude, I have so many thoughts on this. I think there's um, a bit of insecurities. I do think that you have a population of—I'm talking about just gay men, that's my Mm -hmm. experience—of people who are typically unloved, cast aside, looking for love, fighting for their lives for survival. And we know that overall, your proximity to whiteness— AIDS in your survival in life as a person of color. So now you compound that with being gay. Like, it almost feels intentional, even if they're not really doing it that way. But I think there's something there. I don't have the language. Well, you gave it a good shot. I think there's something (laughs) there. This is Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. We're talking about love across differences, and we're taking your calls. If you have been in or in a relationship across 
race, ethnicity, religion. We want to hear from you. And also, we can start hearing from you for non-romantic relationships, family, friends, special friends, if you know what I mean. More of your calls coming up. Stay with us. We often think of universities as isolated ivory towers, but the fact is, politics have always been present on campus. This is Kai, and after you're done with our show this week, take a listen to the New Yorker Radio Hour, where David Rimnick looks closely at what's been happening at Harvard. The money factor, very important. What is it that college presidents do? One of their most important functions is raising money. Law professor Randall Kennedy. He's worth a listen, and so is the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. And in advance of Valentine's Day, we're talking about love. Specifically, we're asking what we can learn about ourselves and our society from people who are in relationships with someone of a different racial, ethnic, or cultural background. I'm joined by Bucknell University sociologist Maria T. Imchali and Lamar Dawson, host of TikTok Radio, which is a channel dedicated to pop culture on Sirius XM. And if you are in or have been in an intimate relationship with someone of a different background, we want to hear from you. And also, we can start hearing about other kinds of relationships, besties, special friends, Mm. family, what you have learned about yourself from that intercultural relationship. And let's go to Caleb in Brooklyn, New York. Caleb, welcome to the show. Hey, how are y'all doing tonight? Very well. What have you learned, Caleb? Uh, so I'm a 45-year-old uh, white man. Uh, my family was from uh, South Carolina originally, but I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and was born there. Grandma was Southern Baptist. She died at 98, and I realize now like how much work she did to move away from a lot of the inherent racism for white folks in the South. Um, I've dated pretty much exclusively um, people of color from different ethnicities since I was about 20 years old. Um, I have two children that are mixed race. Their mother was born in Cairo, um, and it's Egyptian. Um, so, in one of my first relationships, uh, with a man, when I was 19, a black man, uh, he, uh, shared with me some of the incredibly racist, um, and discriminatory experiences that he had experienced in his life and that his mother had experienced as well. And I remember being really shocked by some of those stories. Uh, to hear that those things still happened. Um, I think I grew up in somewhat of one of those liberal white um, households where, you know, color wasn't really brought up and wasn't seen. And so that left me somewhat ignorant to those things. Uh, But my mother was a single mother um, on welfare and housing subsidies, raising two boys. Um, So that taught me that um, I needed to wake up a little bit and open my eyes to what was still happening in the world and that it wasn't the responsibility of the people of color that I was dating to, um, you know, clue me into the racism that they were still experiencing on a daily basis. And then something else that came up for me later on um, when I was dating uh, a mixed race Asian woman um, and we'd been together for some time and there was a lot of comfort there. And we talked about race a lot um, where I made a joke kind of about something stereotypical about Asian folks in front of another white person, Um, you know, thinking that it was camaraderie and obviously I was joking and it was me acknowledging the racism that that person experienced. 
but she was really hurt by that. Um, and it wasn't, you know, okay for her and, and rightly so. Um, so that was another wake up call for me. Mm. You know, I think that vulnerability is important to kind of understand that I have to unpack my own internalized racism. And I'm going to leave it there, Caleb, because we got a bunch of calls, but vulnerability, mm. um, and, uh, is an important takeaway from that story. Let's go to Ami in Fairfield, Connecticut. Ami, welcome to the show. Hello, Kai. Hello. So I think for me what I've learned, or, or maybe the message I want to put out there, is that it's great because um, I'm a black woman. I was married to a white man for over a decade, and it did not work out. But I grew up in a culture where I, 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 don't, I just took race for granted. It wasn't anything. It's funny, actually. Um, we have a daughter, and she was seven years old, and came home and said to me, "Mom, do you realize you're a black woman?" I'm like, "Yep, I look in the mirror every day," and because to her, she didn't understand. Like it, it wasn't something that was in the in in the conversation or even it thought of because of I'm from a different cultural background. I wasn't born in America, and um, so and she's like, "Oh." So daddy, I thought daddy just needed to get out more and get a tan. Like, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Um, but but then things, when things did not work out, I think the message I want to say to people is that, um, you know, maybe if you're a person of privilege or you're, you're looked at, at a more advantage, as, as being the more advantageous one, to be mindful of those things because... Um, things can like other people can get in and make assumptions. And in my case, getting a going through a divorce, assumptions were made and that were extremely detrimental. But that was based on other people's prejudices that then ended up impacting our life and impacting our daughter's, our family's lives. So I think yeah. that's my message is, you know, I'm, I'm you know, sorry that happened be the to keepers you. of the people you've, you've, you've loved before, because it may not be you who's doing it, but it may be assumptions that are coming from other people and we all want to be advantaged and it becomes a problem. So that's all I want to say. Well, thank you very much for that, Ami, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. Uh, we have a text message from somebody that says, uh, I'm a black woman married to a white man. We are both in our late 60s. I have found that our differences are more based on socioeconomic class rather than race. He is from a working class background, and my family is multi-generational upper middle class background. Uh, and he jokes that uh, I married, and I won't use the, the slur that she says, but the, he, he has a deriv derisive name for poor white people. Uh, that, uh -huh. that he says that she jokes he married. Uh, professor, <laughs> what about class? How often does that come up? Class is really important. Uh, I would say, too, from my research, I found that all you can't put one category of difference as higher than the other. I think our society, when we talk about interracial relationships or um, just interracial uh, mixing in our society in various ways, whether friendship, in the workplace, whatever, we tend to make um, race as like the main thing that can cause conflict or cause other differences, but all these categories, I would say, are pretty, pretty important. Um, so, yeah, class definitely plays a role um, in a lot of different ways. Um, so, for instance, um, how, how do I say this? In America, we're really bad at talking about class. I think I'll start there. So we <laughs> fail to understand uh, or want to understand that with class comes um, a certain um, comes a certain culture, right? Um, there's class cultures. When you bring in the intersection of race into that, that also means a different culture, too, when it comes to um, ways in which race and culture can kind of overlap. And so um, and 
you know, that can affect everything from like how you talk about money, how you deal with mm-hmm. money to how you talk about race um, is another thing as well. Um, so like we know, for instance, that people coming often from um, like low income backgrounds on average tend to talk about race in a much more like straightforward direct way, for instance, than people coming from middle to upper class backgrounds, um, particularly when we're talking about like white middle to upper class people. Um, and so it impacts, like again, everything from the conversations being had to how you approach things in your relationship to, um, I, I would say too, probably also how you see one another within your relationship as well, especially if you are in positions where you push back against stereotypes about what it means to be a white man or to be a black woman using this particular example. It, the, another sort of piece of data that I want to ask you about, though, um, is we have to be, it feels to me like we need to be specific when we talk about this growth in um, people across interracial, particularly in interethnic com- relationships. Is it true, as I understand it, the most common interracial relationships are actually uh, white, non-Hispanic, and white-Hispanic pairings? Is that true? And if so, what does that say? Yes. Um, and so that's what interracial, right? Interethnic is really what we're talking about there, right? But yeah, and it, it, it's the most common one. And the reality is it kind of goes back to um, the concept of race as like a master status in some ways, right? And so mm-hmm. in our society, if you are red as white, um, people tend to interact with you as if you're white. Uh, for example, I remember making a comment when I was doing my research to some people about Cameron Diaz um, being Latina. And they were like, what do you mean she's Latina? I'm like, Cameron <laughs> Diaz, like she has like Latina uh, ancestry. They're like, she's white. I'm like, yes. But she's Her last name is Diaz. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hello. People, or even the concept of Black Hispanics or Black, black Latinx people, I realize people struggle with that too mm-hmm. as well. And so it's this master status thing. So my, my point being that um, it's not such of a leap often for these um, couples who white non-Hispanic for white Hispanic, where often they're in, interacting in society that often treats them as white. And so for all kind of intents and purposes, I would say that, yeah, I mean, they're-, they're Have you researched this concept? I was talking to a friend of mine, he's Mexican. He dates a lot of white women. He feels bad about it. <laughs> but he talks about how his family talks about bettering the race. Ooh. Do you know about this concept? This is Can new you- to me. Can you elaborate different ways that can, what that, that can mean different what, things? What he told me, it meant from his family of uh, a Mexican family, is that when you quote unquote do better, you date better and you need to better the race by one, dating someone lighter skinned to make sure that we are now lighter skinned. And also, again, your proximity to whiteness. You can now you can date a white person because you've done so well in your life. He works, he's a filmmaker. So he, owned that story. He told me that came from his family. He's dating white women. He feels bad about it. But it's something that he said is deeply rooted, bettering the race. Yes. I Anecdotally, yes, I have seen that a lot, um, particularly from a lot of communities of color. Not everybody obviously feels this way, but that concept does come up. Um, and I would say the only group for the most part I haven't seen that has been Black Americans born in the United States. And I think that's that cultural aspect is important because I do have heard from my why own research. So? Why, why do you think that's different? Um, I think for Black Americans in the United States, we have a very different way of looking at ourselves as a racial group. There's a lot of, um, cons- I would say, as a minority group in the United States, there's a big focus on racial solidarity. Um, and so often, and this idea that if you move up socioeconomically or 
In other ways, status-wise, the idea is that what you you're encouraged to stay within your race when it comes to dating, right? And so, uh, I mean, I can elaborate more if we have time. I know we limit time, but that's partly where that is. So it's a very different way of looking at uh, racial solidarity um, within Black communities, um, and there's a very much a awareness of internalized racism as well, and a lot of fears and concerns that for Black people who are dating outside their race, for instance, that they're suffering from internalized racism, and that is why they're dating outside their race, right? That's not correct. Um, doesn't mean it never is, but there's a lot more discussion around that that we see in Black American communities than we may see with other racial groups or Black Americans who have immigrated to the United States and therefore raised within other cultures. Let's try to get another call. Let's go to Catherine in Dallas. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, how are y'all doing? Very well, Catherine. What have you learned? So I am a biracial woman, obviously a product of an interracial relationship. Long story short, I mean, I know we've kind of grown up in a time where this generation has for sure, like where, you know, love is love. And I completely agree and everything. Um, but the reality is, it's just like no matter how much love and good intent that you may have, there are reactions to your actions, you know, whether it's good and or bad. So um Deciding to be in, I'm just thinking on like an interracial relationship, but Mm -hmm. deciding to do that, just know like your kids are going to have identity issues. um, And I just want to Mm. remind people, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, whatever, be mindful about, you know, maybe even something as minor as microaggressions or things that you say that you may not think is prejudiced or um, could come off, I don't Mm. know, with ill intent, but that does. Mindfulness. This feels like a theme of tonight's conversation. Uh, Thank you for that, Catherine. Let's go to Morella in Raleigh, North Carolina. Morella, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Um, I am Latina, Mexican, and my husband is Southeast Asian. I come from a very strong Catholic family, and my husband is Muslim. So uh, one thing we have learned in this 13 years of marriage is tolerance is very important, respect and communication. Why? Because if you know how to communicate with your partner, there's a common denominator in there. We love each other. Yes, we do. We know love is in there. Love is not everything in a relationship. There's different pillars to hold your strong uh, relationship. Communication is so important. What you like, what you don't like. Tolerance this is what I like, and you do it differently. At the end of the day, we both know what's good. We both know what's bad. We have a child. She's six years old, and we both talk to her. She knows she's Catholic and Muslim. Mm. Now, some people come and says, how is that possible? Communication. Now, my daughter, it's learning. She goes to church with me. My husband comes to church with me. I go to the mosque with him. I respect, I learn from his religion. He learns from my religion. And we have friends from different backgrounds. And I'm going to have to stop you there, Morella. Sorry to say it because we're getting it. We're about to run out of time, but respect, tolerance, mm. uh, uh, patience. <laughs> these are things that are coming up. Uh, 
So first off, I want to acknowledge a text message we received that says, you know, you guys moved on from that. Why black why black gay men are dating white oh. men too much. I think a little too fast. So I just want to acknowledge that text message. Um, you may be getting some some but but closing thoughts for us. And, and I'm particularly thinking about like for in about a minute here, mm-hmm. what how you've seen this portrayed over time in pop culture. You've talked about it amongst gay specific movies, but in general, how have you seen this change? Um I do feel like Hollywood's trying to be more inclusive, but I do feel like they're checking boxes. Um, I do think there is nuance there where it's like there are black love stories and Latino, Latin X, Hispanic love stories, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas what they're doing, it seems like is, okay, we've got a black dad, you know, white mom. We can check all the boxes here. we got interracial. <laughs> and they're not taking the time to recognize that they're not really reflecting um, true families and role modeling that for everyone else and how important that really is. Because when you are a person who's trying to navigate and find love in a hopeless place, like on these dating apps and things. Ooh. It is very, very tough. And then when you don't see relationships that look like yours or what you're seeking, it can be very, very hard. And, you know, everyone talks about movie star looks and things like that. But if you're not a movie star, you don't have the looks because you're not there. Because you're literally not a movie star. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because people like you aren't movie yeah. stars. So it's really important that, you know, to bring us to this representation, uh, visibility, inclusivity, et cetera, that is really important to have those conversations as well. Professor Mchali, how do you want to leave us for these tonight? We got about thirty seconds for your. Where, where do you want to leave people with in this conversation? Yeah, um, I think I would say too. Um, I think one. I just want to. This is my thirty seconds. Is that the identity issues thing? I just want to touch upon that. So please. And I think this can be expanded, expanded rather expanded to other things that we talked about, which is that um, for a lot of biracial children, they actually don't have identity issues. It's a society that has mm. identity issues, right? And so um, these kids know who they are, but people are trying to put things mm. on top of them in categories. It's the same could be said when it comes to um, queer people. I'm bisexual myself. My partner is is a lesbian. And so we've also, people say, oh, well, life is going to be so hard for you. Um, it's like, no, no, like life may be hard, but it's not, I'm not the problem. It's that people outside are making it hard for mm. me. And so I think we need to recognize and have that awareness. And the representation too, I think is key. And to Lamar's point, um, more of that, but have it be real. Like yes. these couples often, these when they portray them, it's like race is never a problem. It's like, um, and let's talk about like how people work through that and model good examples of what, what that looks like. We will leave it at that good word. Mm. Maria T. Mchali is an assistant professor of sociology at Bucknell University. Lamar Dawson is host of TikTok Radio, a channel dedicated to pop culture on SiriusXM. Thanks to both of you. Thanks to everybody who called. You can keep talking to us, 844-745-TALK. Just leave a voicemail or email us at notes at WNYC.org. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcast or on Instagram at Notes with Kai. This episode was produced by Regina DeHere. Our team also includes Matthew Mirando, Jared Paul, Karen Frillman, Suzanne Gabber, Mike Kutchman, Felice Leone, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. And I'm Kai Wright. Thanks for spending time with us. Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting, but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity and voting rights. 
In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.